Well, good evening, everyone, and a warm welcome to you all to our evening service and to what is the final part of this little three-part evangelistic series, uh, which we've called Compelled to Speak, where we think about being a people who are moved in our hearts to speak of Christ in this world. And uh, this evening we wrap up the series by thinking about the gospel message that God has given us to share, which is indeed the power of God for salvation. Well, let me read to you a few words from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, which speak of the power of the gospel. And I'll pray before we sing together. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this evening for that glorious gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, thank that it is powerful to save people. Father, thank you for the millions upon millions of lives that have been impacted by the good news of Jesus Christ. And thank you that many of us can sit here this evening and testify to the, to the power of the gospel at work in our lives. Not only bringing us into a right relationship with you, but giving us joy and life and assurance day by day. We thank you for the power of your gospel. And Father, we, we confess to you this evening that we struggle sometimes to echo the words of Paul in our own hearts and say honestly that we're not ashamed of the gospel. There's many times in our lives when we have, have failed to speak up on your behalf, when we fail to stand up and be counted for Christ. We thank you that you still love us and that you forgive us. And we want to use us continually to be your people in this world and share the good news of the gospel. And so we do pray, Father, as we, as we think about these things this evening, that you would give us a greater confidence, not in ourselves, but in the gospel to do its work in this world and in the lives of those whom we know and love. So bless our time together. Minister to each one of us, we pray, and equip us for your service in the week ahead. For Jesus' sake, amen. So this evening, um, if you think back to, to week one, we, we began by thinking about our motive. What is our motive for evangelism? What is it com that compels us to speak about the Lord Jesus? And we focused in on three Gs, for those of you who are here two weeks ago. We thought about the glory of Jesus, the supreme worth of Jesus Christ. The reason why we witness above all other things is that his name will be known and honoured and glorified in this world. The glory of Jesus. We thought about the guarantee of the new creation, this wonderfully restored world that God holds out before his people that will one day be ours, where we go to live in the immediate presence of our great God. And we thought about the grim reality of hell, a real place where real people go. And you see, the more we ponder these things, the more we keep these eternal realities on our radar, the more compelled we will be to speak of our Savior to this world. So we thought first about our motive. Then last week, we turned our attention to the means, the means by which God brings people into a relationship with himself. How does God move people from being in the dark to being in the light? And you may remember... These three visuals, the Bible, the newspaper, 
and the mirror. You see, the better we understand the Bible, the gospel, God's word to us, the better we understand the world out there, those whom the Lord has put in our lives to witness to, and the better we understand ourselves in all our weakness and in all our uniqueness, then the better equipped we will be to play our small part in God's big kingdom-building work. And probably our key text from last week was this one. Paul says this, but we have this treasure. The treasure is the gospel. And where do we have this gospel? In jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, when it comes to evangelism, the privilege is ours. And what a privilege it is to set forth the truth of the gospel, to hold out life to this broken and needy world. The privilege is ours. But the power is God's to change people's hearts. It is he who shines his light into people's hearts to help them see the glory and the fullness of God in the face of Jesus. And what a magnificent thing it is, isn't it? That he uses people like us. Just a few little snapshots there. Jars of clay. Weak, vulnerable knees knocking sometimes at the, the very prospect of evangelism. Yet God delights He delights in using people like us. Why? To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And it's a reality that should move us to our knees as we thought about last week. Jars of clay must pray. Jars of clay must pray. We need God's grace and help in this work. So we thought about our motive, what compels us. We thought about our means. And this evening, we finish this little series by thinking about the message, the gospel message that God has given us to share. Motive, means, and message. So turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It's on the screen as well. We will be dotting around um, a little bit this evening. Words that we began the service with. The headline, really, for Paul's great letter to the church in Rome, his most comprehensive uh, coverage, if you like, of the gospel message. This is what Paul says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Do you notice how Paul describes the gospel, the power of God for salvation? Not a power or one of many powers, but the power of God for salvation. And the word power there in the Greek is a word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite from. You see, the gospel is dynamite. It's absolute dynamite because it is powerful to save people from hell, for heaven forever and Paul gets that and that's why he says hand on heart I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus I'm not ashamed to align myself with the teaching and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation and so here's the obvious question isn't it that we're going to be thinking about tonight what then is the gospel What is this gospel God has given us to share? If it's the power of God for salvation, then what is the gospel? Why don't you take a moment just on your tables. You've got your 
handouts there and a few pens as well. This isn't to, to share publicly or maybe even to talk to anybody else. But just in a minute, you'll see a little section there in your handout. Why don't you write down your answer to that question? What is the gospel? As you begin to confirm in your own head, what, are, what is the gospel all about? How would you define the gospel in one or two sentences? Because it's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Go just for one minute before we bring it together again. I find it pretty difficult to summarize the glory of the gospel in one or two sentences, but that's a question we long to be asked by people. What is the gospel? And I wonder, have we got something to say in answer to that question? You see, what we're going to do this evening, we're going to look at three approaches to answering that question of what is the gospel. And the first one is this. When we try to explain the gospel to somebody, we can go to a specific verse. We can turn up a specific verse in the Bible. For example, have a look at the one on the screen here. Words spoken by Isaiah the prophet 700 years before Jesus even walked in this world. But look at what he says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a wonderfully visual verse, isn't it? As God likes us to sheep, we've wandered off. We've turned to one side. We've turned away from God. We've gone our own way. But wonderfully, God hasn't left us in our sin. What does it say? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, all our weakness, all our wanderings, all of it. Laid to the account of Christ. In one verse, we, we have a verse that is crystal clear on sin and substitution. Our condition and what Christ has done to deal with our sin. Or we could turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. It's a verse you'll all be familiar with. As we think about the heart of God, God's heart of love to this world. For God so loved that he gave He gave what was most precious to him. He gave his only son. So whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know that verse. You could take somebody to that verse this very week and explain the heart of the gospel that God so loved that he gave to this world, his only son. Or we could turn to Romans chapter 6. Verse 23, a verse which helps understand the consequences of our sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A wage is what we deserve. It's what we earn. The right payment for our sin is death. Spiritual and physical. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel isn't earned. It's not a wage. It is a gift that is held out. That is to be received by us through faith in Jesus Christ. And you could go on. There's verse after verse. And and you'll have some favorites in your own head and your heart. that, That you turn to maybe in moments with people. And I'd encourage you. If you haven't got some of these verses in your head. It might not be these. It might be other ones. But commit them to memory. Let these verses not just be jangling around at the back of your mind, but to be at the forefront of your head, in your hearts, at your fingertips. So you're ready to take someone to a single verse, maybe, to help them understand the glory of the gospel. 
You see, firstly, we can help people understand the gospel by simply turning to one verse in Scripture. Secondly, we can help explain the gospel by use of a, of a, of a framework or a paradigm or a diagram. For those of you who were here at the, uh, the church weekend nearly two years ago now, you may remember that we looked at something called the bridge diagram, a tool to help us explain the gospel. Catherine Cavalier used it, I know, and has used it many times in the years uh, since then. At work, in between delivering babies, she's sat down scribbling out the bridge diagram on a bit of paper, helping other midwives and nurses in a very simple way get the gospel. And so I thought I'd invite Catherine to come and join me quickly at the front, because I think it's helpful to, to see how God uses different things. We can go to verses, there's, there's diagrams, there's frameworks, there's a whole host of things that can help us. And remember, it's not that this will be the best way for you. Remember last week we talked about the, the world and understanding ourselves. Some of us like visual things to help us engage with the gospel. Some of us like to communicate in visual ways. So I've, I've prepped Catherine vaguely for this. So Catherine, do you want to firstly show us the bridge diagram? Yeah. Because some here will know the bridge diagram, others won't. But then just a, a couple of minutes testimony to, to, to share with us how you've used this very simple tool to help people get the gospel. That'd be great. Yeah, okay. Um, most of you will probably know this, um, and I knew it as well before Alex shared it on that weekend. Um, but I was kind of stuck, and as I listened to Alex share it that morning, I kind of came unstuck, and I knew when he was sharing this that I would be able to use it, um, and I have used it a lot of times since. So it's very simple. Um, in the beginning... There was God. And God made us, you and me. And he made us for a relationship with himself. And in the beginning, that was what had happened. We had a relationship with God and we walked with God. And everything was good. And then uh, we disobeyed God. And that relationship was broken. And so there came a division between us and God. We didn't have that relationship with God anymore. And so we die. Um, physically, eventually, we will die, all of us. But spiritually, we die as well, and we don't have that relationship with God anymore. And I think it's true to say that although some people say, I don't believe in God, um, I don't have a faith, um, I'm not interested. Um, I think, like David was saying earlier, that, you know, um, when bad things happen, suddenly we discover actually that we're praying to somebody. So maybe we don't believe in God, but all of us have some sort of a spiritual yearning, I think. And people try in lots of different ways to bridge that gap. So um, some people will try religion. Um, some people will try praying. Um, others will try good works, giving money, um, going on pilgrimages, all sorts of things people try to bridge that gap and to reach that relationship with a sovereign being that we sometimes say we don't believe in, but we have a longing to have a relationship with. But you can see what happens. None of them 
bridge the gap um, because it's us making that effort and yet in spite of the fact that we were the ones that broke the relationship God loves us and God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary so that we could have a relationship with him so all we have to do is trust on what Jesus has done for us and walk across that bridge and accept what Jesus has done on our behalf and we have a relationship with God and our sins are forgiven so now Wellesley having listened to that and it's very simple where would you see yourself in this picture mm-hmm. and that's the really important bit and that was the pit I'd never had before and that's the bit that launches you into a further discussion then but it just takes a few minutes it's lovely isn't it it's really, it's really simple and like I said this isn't for everybody we, we work we operate in different ways but this can be a wonderfully helpful tool so just share a couple of examples over the last year and a half when in the real world you've been there in life and you've had the privilege of scribbling this down maybe on a bit of paper okay. and helping someone get something of the gospel um, the first one is um, I think important because um, it was at work and I was on delivery suite very busy place to work haven't really got much time and I think we all feel like that we, lost, we, we all work in very busy places and you know I'm not paid to share the gospel I'm paid to look after the women that are in labour but um, I was on uh, duty this night with um, another Christian and we had literally just come back from the church weekend away and Helen um, was asking me about it and I, I told her uh, about the bridge and then I said to her um, uh, we got into a conversation and another member of staff walked in on the conversation and we carried on talking and we could see that she was listening and so we turned around and involved her in the conversation and with that we were all deployed elsewhere to do different things because different ladies had come in and so I was like I was just about to share the bridge and now she's gone and what am I going to do so as I was passing the desk to go down to my lady I just pulled a scrap piece of paper off the desk and I put it in my pocket and I thought I am going to do it I'm doing it and I, a couple of times I came out of the room for things and I couldn't find her. And after about a couple of hours, she came and she found me. And um, she wanted to know more. Um, and I was able to share with her outside the room. I said, I haven't got long. I'm going to draw you a picture. And I drew it and, sh- and did this with her. And I, I put it in her pocket and I said, you think about that and I'll talk to you about it again. And so that was the first time that I'd sort of used it. And that took a very, very short length of time. Um, but she wasn't antagonistic. She came and she found me. The next time um, I was on a ward, so, um, and I had a student, um, midwife, whom I was mentoring. And um, we were just chatting, and it was um, that summer we were going to go to um, Romania. And so we were just chatting away about Romania, and somebody asked me why I was going and who I was going with, so I went on. And then this guy came and he said to me, What's a Baptist? And I went, okay. And so that was, that was my opening into the discussion. And I went on then and shared the bridge with him. And we've had lots of discussions since. And he's had four Christian midwives as his mentors. And one of them is getting baptized in two weeks time. And I'm going to ask him to come to the baptism. So we've, and that one was a really important one for me, actually. I've left this out because this guy is, um, gay. 
and I've made a terrible mess in the past of witnessing to somebody, sorry, to somebody I love who's gay and destroyed um, my witness, really. And I wanted to be able to witness to this person without ever mentioning the word gay, without getting involved in any controversy. And I wanted to be able to say to him, God loves you, and God wants you to know him. And using this tool, I was able to present the gospel without ever talking about any controversial subjects. And I really needed to be able to do that. And it was just amazing. And I was very um, just blessed, really, that I was Mm. able to do that. And then the other ones, very quickly, um, in the last sort of um, few weeks, an elderly friend who's going for an operation, her respiratory function and her cardiac function aren't great and she's worried about dying on the table and um, I thought I've known her for about eight years and um, and this was true of the other two as well they all know I'm a Christian they know I go to church, they know I'm married to a vicar, they know that I have certain ethical stands but I've never told them about Jesus, I've never said Jesus loves you Jesus died for you and Jesus would like you to know him and to be saved and I thought I need to do it so I went and had coffee with her and the conversation went on a little bit and in the end I had to sort of just make a decision and think I've got to just jump in at the deep end here and I I, I said to her you know we've known you for a very long time and you know we love you and because I love you I need to tell you something really important and uh, she got really upset and she said um, and she told me why she had given up on faith in God and I knew it was really important that I not jump into the bridge because that's the other thing is that I was so desperate to share the gospel with her that sometimes you think I just have to get it out before I lose my courage and then but I could, it was almost as if there was a hand holding me back and saying just listen to what she has to say and then you'll get your opportunity and I did get an opportunity so there's another conversation to be had there she's now had the presentation of the gospel but that's not the end of it but just letting her time to think about it and then a couple of weeks ago a friend rang me and said it was the night after you did the first one of these and she said could I come and have coffee with you I haven't seen you for ages same story I've known her for a long time never shared the gospel with her and then another friend was coming to cut my hair in the afternoon so the one in the morning um there wasn't any opportunity to actually have a conversation with her to she she just wasn't going to let me in so I had to again say you know I've known you for about eight years and I've never told you about the most important thing in my life and I'm going to tell you now if you don't mind if would you allow me to tell you and I used the bridge for her and I felt a bit of resistance speaking to her but um, she texted me to say how much she'd enjoy the conversation and she'd like to come around for coffee again sometime. So she's kept that door open. And then the one, the, the one in, in this the... This has to be the last one. Else you'll be here all night, Catherine. It is. It's, one, it's wonderful, isn't it? But it is. But the last one is really funny because she said to me, um, this girl had come in and she said, oh, I've had a terrible weekend. My brother fell down the stairs and he broke his neck. And um, she said, he's all right, he's okay, but the wall is very badly damaged. And um, she said... Um, and, we went, and we, the conversation went on to, um, you know, if you died, whether you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And she said, but nobody knows where they're going to go when they die. And I said, um, excuse me, um, I do. And that was it. I was in. Mm. And she listened. And again, I shared the bridge. So it's 
really useful and you can use it in all sorts of ways mm. and I've yeah it's been great for me it's so, great it's really helpful and, yeah and sometimes when you get things like that it's a bit difficult it's like you just have to just do it um, and then jump in the deep mm. end and lovely hope that you'll get some answers for the rest of the things it's great thanks very much Catherine it's lovely to hear isn't it and a little reminder for last week as well it's not just about giving the gospel it's about listening Remember, we talked about knowing the person that we're speaking to. If we want to be, we need to be in their life. We need to understand them. Then we can bring the gospel uh, to bear. And there's a number of other little frameworks you'll find on the back of your handout. These work for some people, not everybody. They're, they're not the answer. That's not the go- The British diagram is not the gospel, but it's a tool to help you explain the gospel to other people. One that that I found very helpful myself is two ways to live framework that you see up there on the screen. Six windows into the gospel. Six key components, if you like of the gospel message creation god made it all sin we've messed up judgment god will hold us to account christ came to die for our sin to bring forgiveness he rose again to give us new life and in that sixth window what are you going to do with jesus he calls us to repentance and faith and the number of times i've not necessarily gone through it window by window but i've had that framework in my mind both speaking publicly and one-to-one with people to have these frameworks to fall back on can be incredibly Uh, helpful to us so firstly we can use individual verses to go to explain the gospel secondly there's a whole range of tools of frameworks of paradigms that help give us some sort of structure to the gospel message but the uh the third one i want us to think about this evening is the is the one that i want to commend to us most this evening it's this i want us to see the gospel accounts as the main source text in evangelism The four Gospels. You see, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were written for this specific reason, to persuade a non-believing world that Jesus is who he says he is. You may know the summary statements of John's Gospel, which he comes to at the end. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Jesus did loads of stuff. It's not all in here. But these are written. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, we live in a world that wants everything right now in short, sharp sound bites, right? Give me a two-minute YouTube clip or video and that'll, that'll sort me out. That's what I want. But you see, people actually need more than that. They need a story. They need to be captivated by the greatest story ever told, whose central character is the Lord Jesus Christ, the hero of all of history who came to rescue us from ourselves. And so when it comes to evangelism, I want to encourage us this evening to go back to the Gospels themselves and to present before this world the life and times of Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, his compassion, his teaching, his love, his humility, his ascension. The story of when God walked in this world. You see, you don't need all the answers. You don't need to have a a perfectly crafted gospel framework that you can go through step by step. You just need enough God-given courage to take someone to the gospel and sit down and say please will you read with me about the life of jesus and i know many of you've been doing this julie sam has done it with a number of ladies over the last couple of years and jill will be the first to say she hasn't got all the answers 
She doesn't need all the answers, right Jill? It's not our job to have all the answers. It is our job and our joy to bring people to the greatest story ever told and to trust God to do his work through his word. I remember when I was out in Israel on honeymoon and we went to Nazareth and they've got constructed a a village. They've sort of redone a village to what it would have been like in Jesus' day and and you walk around this this little village and and our tour guide was a Messianic Jew, which means he was he was he was born into Israel, if you like, he was he's an Israelite in that sense, but he trusted Christ. And at the end of the tour, we sat down in this little synagogue, as it would have been, and we sat down there, and he was at the front, and we could ask him all sorts of questions about what it would have been like. But the first question someone asked him, how do you become a Christian? And I will never forget the response, because he just looked at them, almost like confused, and said, I just read the Gospels. That's it. People were waiting for this, 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 this 10 minute story, all these different things that I happened to see a Jew converted to Christ. He just said, I just read the stories of Jesus. And I was persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is. Any other questions? It's just like, it's simple. In so many ways, it is so simple. The question for me and you is, will we trust in the power of God's word to do its work? Will we be bold enough to bring people to the gospel accounts and take people there for themselves put your hand up if you uh, drive a car or ride a bike which i think probably covers uh, most people in here tell me when you jump into a car get ready to drive do you have to really think about what you do do you get into the car and you've got your keys and you're there and you think right what what next okay Ignition. <clears throat> yeah, car's going super. That started. Right, what now? Okay, clutch. Left foot, down he goes. Um, gear stick. Where am I going? Backwards, forwards. Okay, backwards I think we'll go. Right, now this is the tricky bit. Well, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to put down the accelerator, right foot, at the same time as letting go of the gwee, and back we go. You, you don't have to do that, do you? You don't talk yourself through the process. Why? Because it is so ingrained within you. It becomes second nature. It's what we call indwelt knowledge. And it is such a beautiful thing because when you don't have to think about what you're doing, you can concentrate on what's happening out there. Pedestrians, bikes, other cars. I'm not consumed with me and and what what am I, what do I, I can concentrate on what's happening out there. And you see, it is the same with our evangelism. Imagine knowing the Gospels so well. Imagine being so wonderfully familiar with the Gospel accounts, the teaching of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, that it becomes a normal part of our vocabulary. You see, so often I think we're like the woman in the car, and I'm just, in those moments, I'm thinking, what what shall I do? What about me? Rather than what's going on out there, because I've not indwelt the knowledge of the gospel. So it's in our head, it's in our hearts, and it's ready to come out of our mouths. And so I want to finish with two challenges as we wrap up this evening, as we wrap up this whole series. Two challenges and two reminders. And our first challenge is this, and I don't think it will come as a great surprise in light of what I've just said there. Here's your first challenge. Take a gospel Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, read it, 
Read it, read it, and read it again. Indwell that gospel into your head and heart. Become so wonderfully familiar with Jesus, with what he says, and with what he does. So it becomes as normal speaking about Jesus as it does driving a car or riding a bike. I don't have to think, it just happens. Because the knowledge is indwelt within me. Challenge two. Write down a name, if you would, on your handout of somebody in your life that you know and that you love who is yet to come into the kingdom of God. Write it down, if you would, or if not, just make a mental note. Picture them in your mind. You know what's coming as a challenge, don't you? And it can come in two ways. I'm going to give you two options, really, with this challenge. Option number one, write them a letter. Less confrontation, remember last week? Write them a letter. Put in it a little gospel tract and just say, would you read it? Would you read the story of the life of Jesus? And I'd love to catch up at some point and see what you think about it. Or if you want to be even braver, just go up to your friend, Catherine, did it? Just say that there's something I've got to tell you. (laughs) I want you to know who Jesus is because it so, so matters. Would you consider just sitting down and reading through one of the Gospels with me? I'd love it if you do that. I'd really love it. Will we do that? Because you know what? They might just say yes, David, wouldn't they? Sometimes we say no for people. Sometimes we look at our friends and there's no way they'd do that. Do you know what? They might just say yes and you'll never know until you ask them. Give them an opportunity to come to the greatest story ever told. And imagine if we all did that. 45, 50 of us in this room this evening. Just imagine... If everyone in this room, 45, 50 jars of clay, weak, knees knocking, scared, fragile. Imagine if we stick our neck out and ask someone to read the gospel with us and see what God does with that. And we just don't know what he'll do with it. But we don't know until we stick our neck out. just want to read to you one short um, A little quote from this book, which I think sums up those two points and sums up where I've been at in my thinking. This is what it says. I sometimes feel that we are like novice sailors. We too easily hug the coast, wanting to keep in sight what is recognisable and well-known. In these present times, however, I suspect that God is calling us to leave the safety of familiar shores and cast off into deeper waters. That's me, hugging the coastline, comfortable, stay where I know, stay where I'm familiar. Maybe tonight God is calling you to cast off into deeper waters and do something which is making your knees knock right now, or your heart beat even thinking about it. Will we be people that bring others to the good news of the gospel? There's your two challenges, and here's our two reminders. Reminder number one, there's a great urgency Richard Baxter, the great uh, 17th century pastor, will drive past his statue on the way to the Pioneer Centre this year on the weekend away. Richard Baxter once famously said, I speak as never to speak again as a dying man to dying men. Every time 
He held out the gospel. He held out the gospel as if it was the last time he might share it. This might be my last time. I don't know what's happening tonight. It might be the last time I get to encourage you as my friends. It might be the last time we get to hold out the gospel. Or it might be the last time somebody gets to hear the gospel. Remember back on that opening night and we did that great day of division? That's the reality that's coming. There's an urgency in evangelism. Will we leave our familiar, comfortable shores and cast out into deeper waters? And secondly, this is where I want to finish this evening. Our confidence should be in the gospel not in ourselves. And that's why we began this evening by reminding ourselves that we are but jars of clay. You see, it's the gospel that is the dynamite of God. It's the gospel that is powerful to save, not me. We just have the sheer privilege of carrying that gospel into this world as we watch and pray that God would do things with it in people's hearts. The privilege is ours, but the power is God's. And that is a reality that should once again drive us to our knees in prayer. And so before we sing, we're going to do that. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray for each other. And we're going to pray for hearts because this is a heart issue, right? It's an issue of our own hearts. But it's an issue of the hearts of others as well that are at this point in time cold maybe to the gospel message. So just in your tables or in twos and threes, whatever works for you, let's pray for five minutes for our hearts, for the hearts of each other and for the hearts of those in this world that God would do a work that only he can do as we take them to the story of Jesus Christ. So let's pray and then the band will lead us in a few minutes time.